Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you be with us as we look to the Word and and have what you would want us to see and, and, and learn from that. And we just thank you in your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit of the, and, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So we're going to look at this. Uh, Paul is getting, we're moving into the second half of the book. And if you've, I'm not sure we've mentioned this before, but when you read Paul's epistles, most of his writings start with about half the book, really intense doctrinal <laughs> information. And the second half of the book, application. How do you apply what he's been teaching in the first half? Uh, so we're going to be transitioning now in Paul's teaching to be more practical. And it starts out that he says, I beseech you. Now, beseech is a very strong word. It's not a word we use in our normal conversations today. <laughs> but it really is that he's calling them to listen. He's summoning them to listen. Uh, entreating them is a good word. I entreat you to listen. And so he's, he's right here he's saying, I've got something very important. <laughs> listen. And so that, having said that, he goes, you that walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Now, first off, we're going to deal with vocation. It really doesn't mean your job necessarily. <laughs> vocation is a summons or an or a impulse to perform at a certain task or career. So he's saying you have been called to do something. And we as Christians have a job to do. Jesus told us, you know, that we're to go unto all the world <laughs> teaching disciples, giving the gospel. And not just giving the gospel, but to teach people how to walk with Christ. And one step we oftentimes forget in the church is to teach people how to <laughs> go forward. You know, there's many people who are good about giving the gospel, but one of the things we need to do is, as you're learning things, who are you teaching? Now, many of us have been disciples without knowing it if we've raised kids and we did a halfway decent job with our kids and putting them into church and teaching them at home and getting them to walk the right path. But, you know, we all need, we all need to be discipling somebody because that's been our command. Jesus just didn't say, go, go uh, get these spiritual babies and just abandon them. Okay? And this is what discipleship's all about. You bring the person in, you, you encourage them. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Let me help you understand these things. Uh, I had a wonderful disciple who did this with me for my life, and that was my dad. He taught me how to study the Bible, how to, how to pray, and all these things. I did a big, you know, big part of my kids once I got my life out of working too many hours. <laughs> uh, but worked with my kids. The Christianity was real. 24-7 Christianity. We lose a lot of young people from Christianity into the world, and unfortunately most of it of the time 
is they look at their parents and said, it didn't seem real with my parents. They took, me to, they took me to church or they sent me to church would be even worse. But I never saw them reading their Bible. I never saw them applying God's truth to day-to-day -day living. And I don't, you know, and that's the way it is for a lot of people. And I've heard that, believe me, I've, I've dealt with teenagers and that's what they'll tell me. Oh, well, it's not real to mom and dad, why should I care? <laughs> and especially for boys, if it's mom bringing them to church and dad's not there, they look and say, well, it's something for women. Which is why we as men need to take charge of our families and say, we're going to church. We're going to have family devotions. We're going to make sure that you see that God is real. And it's important for them. It's important for who, the people that you disciple that they see it's real. Because if you only have a Sunday morning Christianity, it really telling people it's not important. And we need to, and this is what we talked about last week, are you putting in getting God a tithe of your time? Does God get 2.4 hours a day or 16.8 hours a week? And I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but just saying, think about this. How much time do you spend with God? When people look at you, are they saying, well, that's a great example of a Christian, and that's what he's talking about, walking in, our, walking in the vocation of our call. What are we called to do? We're called to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and let him so fill us that he pours out of us. And it's wonderful. And I know there's certain people in this room that, that people know that you're a Christian. Because you hear about it. <laughs> you know, uh, everybody knows Loretta, where Loretta's at. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter that people will know her. And the question that you have, do your, do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Do your co well, most people are retired, but did your, did your co-workers know that you were a Christian? You know, if you're still out doing activities, do they know that you're a Christian? This is critical for us. If Christ is living in us, he should be pouring out of us. Jesus said that out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. Think about some of the people you hang out with. Do they ever, what, 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 you, can know, you know where their hearts are. You know what the abundance of their heart is. They're either speaking, because they will speak about what is filling their mind and their, their thoughts. What do they think about a lot? It doesn't take you long to be with somebody and know. And this is the key of where we're at. We're going to walk with God. Are we spending time meditating on God's word? The Sunday School was talking a little bit about meditation this morning and you know, God's meditation is very different from the world's meditation. In, in the world, if you listen to them talk about meditation, they're basically trying to empty their minds of all thoughts so some supernatural power can come in and, and uh, give them some thought. Well, they're going to have a supernatural thought, thought when they're doing that. If you empty your mind, you're going to get it filled with something and it won't be God. It'll be demonic activity that you're going to fill your mind with if you're empty in your brain. And God, when he talks about meditation, he wants you actively thinking about him and his word. Meditate on his word. Meditate on him. He's, and we see the difference between a world's way of thinking and, the, and, the, and God's way of thinking. God's not wanting us to be brainless, mindless creatures to be filled. He wants us to look at his word. His word will give us the answers. And the great thing about Christianity is we've got a book that gives us all the answers. We don't have to guess what God wants. 
We're not looking for supernatural special revelation that says, here's what you, here's what you should believe. God can do that for you if you're meditating on his word. He'll give you deeper understanding of his word, but it'll always match his word. If you're given a thought and you think it's from God and it's contrary to the word, it's not, God, it's not a thought from God. Very important on that. When, when you're trying to make a decision and you think, well, I know God is telling me to do something and you, find, and you look at the word and it's contrary to God's word, it's not God giving you that word. And I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to over the years that say, well, I know God wants me to marry this person. They're not saved, but God wants me to marry this person. I go, no, contrary to God's word, it's not God that you're listening to. You know, we can do this all the time. What does the word say? If we're walking contrary to God's word, we're not listening to God. And here's what Paul's saying. Walk accordingly to your call. And for us as Christians, it's easy. We get into the Word. We get into the Word and we look at this. And there's very th interesting things that sometimes it's just a precept that God tells us to follow. There are many people who will not smoke because they'll take the verse, you know, your body is a temple of God, and, and they go, okay, I can't pollute the temple of God. Others, that doesn't apply to them because God didn't tell them to do that. Some people say, you can't gamble because it's bad stewardship. And others will say, well, I don't think, feel the same way. You know, for both of those uh, areas of life, there's no verse that says, thou shalt not. <laughs> there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not gamble. But there are precepts in there that you can say, yes, God's told me to apply this. And if God's told you to apply a precept to your life, then you better not disobey. <laughs> there's things in the scriptures that I've looked at that aren't thou shalt not, but I look at them and God says, you can't do these. <laughs> now, I look around and somebody else may be able to do it without a problem. But I can't because God says, don't do these things. Don't do these things. And this is part of working out your salvation with God. Now, there are certain things that we know we can't do. You know, we do not lie because it says, thou shalt not lie. <laughs> we don't kill people because it doesn't says, thou shalt not murder. <laughs> you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not commit a forn fornication. There's verses that tell you these things. And on those, there's no question. Those are things you're supposed to do. But there's other areas, and this is why we need to walk in that unity and that Paul's talking about here. He says, how do we walk? First off, with lowliness. Lowliness is a humility. But it is not saying, you know, if you were the superstar uh, baseball player on your team, it's not saying I'm terrible at baseball. That's not being lo lowly. Uh, it's having a proper understanding of where you're at. Okay, you can, you can be good at something and, and still have a lowliness of mind and admit that you're good at something. One of the things I've disliked about a lot of different singing groups and every, uh, singers that I've seen in churches, when they get clapped or thanked, you know, they're going, oh, it's all God, it's all God. Of course it's God. <laughs> you know, but you're a good singer. You know, we're not going to just pick up anybody out of the pew and say, okay, you're going to be the star for the concert today <laughs> as they're caterwauling their way <laughs> through the songs. Now, God says make a joyful noise before him, but that's not what you're going to, you're not going to put somebody making a joyful noise necessarily as your, as the star of the, of the, of the show. Uh, but the star of the show who's got a voice, who can sing, is given a gift by God. 
And do you understand uh, what I'm saying about lowliness? It's not just saying, hey, I'm no good at something. It's, it's having a proper acknowledgement of where you're at. And then he goes on to say, with meekness. Meekness is an interesting word because we usually think of meek as somebody who is so easygoing that they're not going to defend themselves. And that's not meekness. Moses in the scriptures is called the meekest man that ever walked the world or earth. He had a temper. <laughs> You know, his temper kept him from going into the promised land when he struck the rock instead of talking to the rock and saying, bring, the, bring forth water. And yet, God describes him as the meekest man. So I'm going to give you a different definition for meekness for, from a biblical point of view. Meekness is the dispense, dis, a person who disposes one to, uh, 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 dis, disposing one to receive whatever comes to you from others and God. In other words, don't be complaining about what's happening. <laughs> okay? Because what comes to us is controlled by God. If we are spending our entire time grumbling and griping about what's going on in our life, we're not walking in meekness. And you know, you're wasting a lot of time, too, if you're grumbling and griping about what's going on in life, because you can't change it that much by grumbling and griping. Uh, grumbling and griping never changes anything. Usually, it seems to make it worse, from what I've seen, because people are focused on the problem. And when they're focused on the problem, everything, you're, you're ignoring anything good. But we're to walk in meekness. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to go, God, I really don't understand why you're doing this. No, but I'm not spending all my time grumbling and griping about what happens. And if you've ever been there, you know how miserable you feel as you're grumbling and griping. <laughs> yeah. God is in control. He's, you know, and this is where Romans 8.28 comes in. All things work together for good for those that are called according to the purpose of God. Everything that happens to us is, is for good. It may not be for my good, but it's for good. <laughs> and I say that because sometimes when, if you are walking with Christ, and you're walking with strength through a problem, other people are watching how you walk through that problem. And they may get strengthened because of the strength that you're walking through and saying, if they can do it, I can do it. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you couldn't do something and then you saw that somebody else could? It might be something real practical. You know, maybe when you were in school and learning some skill and you're going, I just can't get this. And then you found your friends or something that, that did and they go, okay, it is possible. I've been there where I've been trying to learn something or do something. Uh, I, love, I love the internet because I can watch guys do things on videos and say, okay, I can figure that out now. <laughs> uh, but that meekness, that idea of strength. I've had many people in my lifetime come up to me because they watched me go through hardship and go, I need help. Tell me about your God. And I hope many of you have been there where you've walked through something and people going, I need what you have. Sometimes that's what that's about. Your strength of walking through something, knowing that it's going to be for good, maybe just for somebody to come up and say, I need what you have to get through these problems. Because we've all seen people who fall apart of the simplest problem. They totally collapse. I truly don't understand how the people, worldly people get through their days a lot of times. I've got God to count on, and I look at some of these lives, and I'm going, if I didn't have God, I would be... A basket case. Unfortunately, some of them are. But 
God gives us that strength. He gives us the ability to walk through. The next thing he tells us is with long suffering, patience. <laughs> patience, suffering long. You know, we think about that. Most of us have no patience whatsoever. We don't, we're, you know, we don't even like one time of, of trial. And we get somebody in our life who is a trial for years. <laughs> You know, it doesn't seem like they're ever getting, you know, maybe, maybe you've got a kid that, that, that way. You know, they just won't come back to God. They keep making the same mistakes. Maybe you're the one making the same mistakes over and over again. God suffers long. For Israel, he waited hundreds of years, almost 500 years before he sent them into captivity for all their disobedience. The Canaanites, before the Israelites were sent to the Promised Land, God gave them 430 years to correct their way of walk. You know, and most of us get tired after a couple days, maybe, <laughs> month, year. And God's saying, be long-suffering. Is it easy? Absolutely not. <laughs> I lose my patience just like everybody else. I know it's hard. But God is there saying long-suffering. The next part is forbearing one another in peace. And I've shared with you, I love the word forbearing in scripture. Forbearance means to give up my right to demand punishment. That means somebody has actually hurt me. <laughs> okay? They've done something against me, and I go to God and say, God, I'm giving up my right to demand that they be punished. That's hard to do if we're not living in God's grace and love and mercy, realizing where I am and what I deserve. For us as Christians, it should be easy to give forgiveness to people because God forgives us. But for many of us, we want to say, God, please forgive me. Go get them. <laughs> you know, but God, go get them. <laughs> we're asking for forgiveness, but yet we're, we're saying, God, be vengeful on somebody else. If we're going to ask for forgiveness, we really need to be saying, God, I want to be, give me forgiveness for somebody else. Teach me to be like you. But too often, we're ready to go, go get them, God. And you know, we probably have the right to say, go get them. You know, David said, go get them all the time. <laughs> okay, you read through those Psalms and you know, David, and many times he's saying, God, go get them. It's called precatory prayer, and David did a lot of them. <laughs> okay, but if we really want to live in the forgiveness of God, we should be ready to get forgiveness to others because we don't deserve it. You know, we tend to think we do somehow. <laughs> but how many times do we deserve forgiveness? I'm going to say zero, because the offense is against God. And usually, we've done it on purpose. You know, we like to say we fell into sin. <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't know what happened. I just found myself in the middle of this sin. Mm -hmm. you know, somehow, I was over there, and then I was over there. <laughs> But we, we make those choices. We choose to sin. We don't deserve the forgiveness that God gives us. And we need to be ready to sh share that forgiveness with others. Because it's important. Forgiveness and grace are what brings people to God. I've seen very few people ever come to God, and I might even say zero, ever come to God because, I pounded, because they were pounded over the head with God's rules and regulations and how bad they were. That's not going to, you know, and make people want to come to God. 
Why would you want to come to somebody who's looking to, to discipline you every moment of your life? You've got to have that love. God is a good father. He will discipline us when we need it, but he also has great love and wants to spend time with us. And we've got to get that picture of him. You know, I talk about you know, the people who've got this idea of God up there with a great big baseball bat just waiting for you to stick your head up. And you know how many people believe that? I've talked to many people who are just waiting for God to whack them over the head because they're, they've been, they know they deserve it. And they're so afraid of God's perfection that they're afraid to come before God. A God that loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them so that they could be forgiven, so that he can show grace. We need to see God in that way. Is he holy, righteous, and, and just? Absolutely. That is why Jesus had to pay the price. Somebody had to pay the price for his justice. And that is why Jesus came. He says, Father, I will go pay the price. And he paid the price for everything that we deserved. So that God can come along and say, okay, the debt's been paid. We have a concept in our judicial system. You can't, you, you can't be charged twice with the same crime. That's God's idea. Jesus was charged with the crime. He's not going to charge us with the crime. For us, there's only one way that you're going to go to hell, and that's to reject Jesus. When people stand before God, it's not going to be because they're good or bad. It's going to be because they rejected the offer of salvation. And God's going to say, what did you do with my son? That's the question. What have you done with Jesus? No matter how much good we do, it's not going to matter to God. Now, there are rewards <laughs> for, for letting him work in that, through us, the good. But he's not going to say up in heaven, how much good or bad did you do? It's go, what did you do with Jesus? You reject him, you go to hell. You've accepted him, you go to heaven. Real simple question for the, everybody standing before him. And as they're standing at the white throne judgment, they're guilty already. They rejected him. We as Christians go and we stand before God and we'll go stand before Jesus for the judgment of the works that we've allowed him to do. But this is a critical decision for us. Have we accepted him? Are we living in the forgiveness of Jesus and thereby showing that forgiveness to others? It's important. If we've truly been changed, we're going to let Christ flow out of us. Then we're going to have this forbearance and that's a strong word, and that's why I like it so much when Paul uses it as much as he does. And we're to forbear in love. It's not like, I'm not, I'm not going to charge you, but you're just wait. You know, no, it's in love. We love them, and we can forbear. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to do something is exerting effort. Are we purposely trying to bring peace to a situation? Or do we get in the middle of it and exasperate the situation and make it worse? Now, all of us have probably maybe been on both sides of it. <laughs> Hopefully you've been on the peace side of it more often, but the flesh is, make things worse. You know, well, you know what's well, yeah, you know what they did to me? <laughs> yeah, add fuel to the flame and make it worse. Instead of, you know, they may have been done something wrong, but we need to be able to forgive them. Let's, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. I don't need to hear about the bad, but let's pray for them. Do they deserve punishment? All of us deserve punishment, but so let's pray for them. Let's pray for God's grace on them. 
and his mercy on them. Let's help we bring them in. And this is important for us. Because we all know somebody in our life that we have a hard time being around. <laughs> you know, that just makes, you know, when they're around, we get, we get uptight, you know, and upset. But we need to pray for those people. When you've got somebody in your life like that, pray for them. Ask one thing, God, give me love for them. <laughs> God, give me the love for them so that I can be around them in, in peace. And then, you know, I've said this before. In my earlier days, I used to pray that my wife would change. Now I just skip the step and ask God to change me. Because you know, he always changed me. In the process, I think he changed her a little bit, but he always changed me. If you've got somebody in your life that's hard to deal with, that you're having trouble with, ask God to change you and your attitude toward them. Now, and you all laugh about it, but it is true. I mean, you know, we, when we're married, we always want our spouse to change, but God always changes us. If you think back over your life, you're the one that changes more than your spouse did. <laughs> uh, but God will change you, and we need to be praying, God, help me show love and understanding. Does that mean the person's going to change? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but your attitude toward them will change, <laughs> and you will see them in a greater love. And I think in the long run, you'll see them change too, because usually what they're doing isn't, isn't necessarily wrong or bad. It's just the way we react to them. And if God changes our reaction, it's going to be good. So we endeavor, we work at unity. The church should be unified. I've shared with people, you know, the older I get, the more I find that there's not a big problem in dealing with people with church doctrine. Do I have opinions on church doctrine? Absolutely. I know what the word says as far as I'm concerned. But you know, there's only very few things that are worth arguing over for doctrine. One of those would be, this book is true. <laughs> Every word of this book is true. If somebody wants to tell me there's errors in that, I will argue that one, and that is worth getting an argument from. Jesus is the, the one and only Son of God. <laughs> okay, He's not a Son of God. He's not just a good man. He is the one and only Son of God. That is, and then lived a perfect life. That's something that's worth taking a hard stand on. Jesus died for our sins and rose again is worth taking a hard stand on because that's the only way to heaven. Much more beyond that is <laughs> not salvation issues at all and really not worth arguing over. The early church split over communion. The early, they, they were saying that the, the bread and the wine literally became Jesus' body and blood when you took it. Others said, no, it was just the symbol. And churches split over that issue. Has nothing to do with salvation. Has nothing to do with heaven or hell. And yet churches split over it. We need to be careful on what, it, what is worth arguing over. Is there truth in the scriptures? Absolutely. Is there room for division on some of these issues? Not a problem. Is there, when it comes to salvation, no, we're going to hold firm on anything that has salvation issue. Do we as Baptists believe certain things? Absolutely. Can I fellowship with my Pentecostal brethren that don't believe the same thing in every issue? Absolutely I can. Why? Because when it comes to salvation, they believe that Jesus is the only way. 
When it comes to speaking and having to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Spirit, that's a pretty minor issue in reality because the scriptures, in my opinion, don't say you have to. And so did Paul. He goes, I, 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 I wish that all of you spoke in tongues as I do, but, but, okay. So that tells us right there that not everybody, in, even in Paul's day, spoke in tongues. And yet he considered them baptized in brethren. You know, well, but that is not an issue for us to get all excited about. And it's very important for us to be able to say what is important, what is not. Can we keep unity? And as things get harder in this world and we draw closer to the end days, we're going to find out that those little side issues are going to be totally eliminated because we're going to have trouble finding other Christians. So we're going to be joining together and saying, I want to follow God. I want to follow him and talk. You know, I, love to, I, love, I love talking to people about these doctrinal issues. It's fun. Unless they want to put a mountain in it that they're going to die on. And that point, it's like, okay, nope, we're not talking about it. But to discuss the nuances of some of those doctrines is a fun thing to do for me. It's, but like I say, if, if it's so important to them that they're willing to die for it, it's like, uh, we're, not, <laughs> we're not talking about this. It's not, that, it's not that big a deal. But again, very few things. Are we looking to create unity or discord? And I've seen discord happen in so many different places in churches where people will take up these little petty arguments and churches will split over really, you know, I've seen churches split over the color of the carpet when they remodel. You know, craziness. <laughs> you know, who, who cares what color the carpet is, really? Uh, you know, who cares about different things? You know, it's, we work to have peace within the church, unity. Then he goes, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And this baptism is talking about being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this before. Baptism, when you get saved, we are baptized in the Spirit. That means we are immersed in the Spirit. And we talked about this. The, the Greek word means to be immersed and stay immersed. And the idea of that immersion is that whatever goes into it changes. And we talked about the idea of the pickle. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but you put a cucumber into the jar of vinegar, stick it on a shelf or in the refrigerator, whatever you do for, you know, whether you're making refrigerator pickles or other, you heat it up. That pickle didn't do anything, that cucumber didn't do anything to become a pickle. You know, if you think about it, what did it do? You know, it grew on a vine, you took it off the vine, you put it in a, put it in a jar with the vinegar, and it became a pickle. This is the picture that God has for us as Christians. We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He submerges us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit endues himself into us, and we change. This is the power of Christianity. If we are letting the Spirit get into us, we will change. <laughs> we will change without trying to. Our, our only part was to admit that we're a sinner and ask Jesus to, to give us the gift of salvation. He dumps us into the Holy Spirit and says, okay, start changing. <laughs> you know, because I'm changing you. Have you experienced yet the ease of the change just by letting God do it? Think back over some of the areas in your life that have changed. How much work did you put in the things that really changed you? <laughs> For me, it's usually God says, 
are you ready to give up this? And you know what? Mm -hmm. A lot of times I say no. <laughs> but then I go, yes, God. And you know how easy those changes are when I just say, God, I'm ready to just let go of it? It's not fighting and struggling and saying, I miss this so much. It's God, you've crucified it, thank you. <laughs> you filled it up with your spirit. You've made me more spirit-led in that area. I just want to challenge you. Learn to give up to God and let him change because it makes life easier to change that way. He wants to change us. He's baptized us in the spirit so that we will change. He asks us to get into the word. The word is, says that it washes our thinking. For those of you reading the scriptures through with us in the year, have you noticed the washing of your thinking? You start thinking more like God, and you start realizing there's other thoughts out there. And then you start seeing the war between those thoughts. Because <laughs> yeah. we've talked about this, you know, I've, I've said over and over. When something happens to us, our first thought is always going to be the flesh, because we are flesh. But the more spiritually minded you are, or at least in a particular area, the quicker God's thought is right behind that, maybe to the point where it seems like you thought his thought first. <laughs> All because you're changing your thinking. We're told in the Old Testament that we learn line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. God just slowly changes the way we think. And hopefully you've experienced this where you start looking back over a year ago and say, wow, I, I didn't get mad at this person. A year ago I would have tore their head off. You know, why? Because God's changing the way you're thinking. And so we want to be able to look at this. He's looking at getting us baptized into the Holy Spirit. It says there's one God and Father of us all who is above all, through all, and then in you all. Do you realize that the Father, not just Jesus comes to dwell in us, not just the Holy Spirit, but the Father dwells. The whole Trinity is dwelling within you. Everywhere you go, you're bringing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every decision you make, you've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit ready to give you advice. Have you ever wanted advice in the middle of a problem? <laughs> you know, they're right there ready to give you advice. Who, who better would you want to give you that advice than God? You know, uh, you know called, hey, uh, friend, what do you think I should do in this case? <laughs> you've got the best advisor right there with you. you know, the best advisor right there with you. Sometimes talking it out with somebody is good. <laughs> uh, but unto every one of you is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We're given grace. You know, God gives grace. And we've talked about this. What is grace? Grace is getting everything we don't deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. What does God give us as Christians? Forgiveness, peace, heaven, all the treasures of heaven because we're his children. He, brings, he makes us children of heaven. Can you imagine? Have you ever wished that you were the, the child of a, of a rich person so you'd get a big inheritance? <laughs> maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but you know, you're a child of God. <laughs> How much bigger inheritance do you want? You're inheriting heaven with all the authority and responsibilities that that's going to bring. And there's going to be some responsibilities because we are the king's kids because of the salvation. And we're going to have heaven and not hell. You know, we've got all the rewards of a God who could just say, 
Now, you want some money? He can, he can put it in your hands if you need it. How are you going to use it, though? Yeah. Have you ever wanted money so you could blow it on yourself? <laughs> now, that's not what God's going to give you. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Do you need money so that you could invest into God's kingdom? And you honestly want him to want to invest in God's kingdom? You know that God will open the storehouses for that? Yeah. If you don't believe me, get a hold of some biographies of some of these great leaders who have had good, big ministries. Most of them started with nothing. I, I love the story of the seminary in Texas where the guys were trying to get it started. It's a big seminary today, but at this time of the story, it was, not, it was a very small seminary and they were struggling. And the leaders were in the, the president's office praying because they needed, they needed money. And one of them said, God, give us the, you know, you own the cattle on the a thousand hills, give us a couple cattle so that we can, <laughs> can sell. In the process of this prayer, the secretary knocks on the door and they go, we're busy praying, we're asking God, well, this gentleman out here insists he's got to come see you. And he finally said, okay, let's show him in. And he came in, he goes, well, you know, I'm a rancher over about 50 miles away and I just came in and sold a bunch of cattle and I want to give the money to the, the school. God can do these things. And if you read enough biographies of these, lead, of these great men of crowd, you'll see these stories over and over and over again. How the impossible was met by a miraculous God who said, here. <laughs> this is why we talked last week about how big is our vision for this church. You know, here we are, just 20, 25 people each week. God's got a vision for this, for this church. We're reaching thousands of people each month online. How is he going to provide for us to reach out for more? I don't know. But once we get something that God's asking us to do, the one thing I know for sure, he's going to provide. He's going to provide the people to do it. He's going to provide the finances to do it. And there's lots of things I'd like to see us do. When God's ready, it'll happen. When it's time, it'll happen. Finances is no problem to God. Getting people here is no problem to God. You know, uh, when it's time and we're ready to move, both will be taken care of. We just need to be ready and say, by his grace, by his grace, we're going to reach people. I don't know how many people we're reaching online that aren't saved. There may be hundreds of people that are getting saved each month that we don't know anything about. But you know what? When we get to heaven, we're going to know about it. And it's not just me. It's this whole church because the church is paying for putting us online. It'll be the blessings that will come that we don't know about. And we're going to see great blessing out there. And God is doing things. We're going to reach the world. When we do the parades and we pass out tracts and Bibles, we haven't had anybody call back and say, hey, I got saved because, I, because of the track or Bible you gave me. We haven't got any letters. We haven't got any calls. But you know what? You can't put God's word out without something happening. And, and for three years of doing this, I'm sure somebody got saved out of, that, out of those tracks that we put out. We've given away almost a thousand of them in three years. God's going to do something. God is doing things. And I just want to encourage everybody, keep praying. Keep praying for the things that are going on. The little things that we're doing out there. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Make sure they know God. And then encourage them to get into church. 
whether it's this church or Golden Valley or Dolan Springs, it doesn't matter. They need to get into a place where they can fellowship and be able to grow. Love, love hearing about Johnny going to church. That's a great blessing that he's doing that. And, and he's going to grow by doing that. So we want to keep this moving forward. We want to keep looking and saying, God, help us. Help us create unity. Help us to love the individuals that, that are a thorn in our side that we have trouble with. And all of us have somebody in our life that's like that, whether it's a family member or a church member or just a neighbor or whoever it might be. All of us have somebody that is like a thorn in our side and is like we don't want to see them and don't care about them. For those we, people, we need to just ask God, give us a love for them. Will they ever be your best friend? Probably not. <laughs> but God doesn't say they're going to be your best friend. <laughs> he says, have unity with them. But you know what? You might get surprised. <laughs> Somebody who today is your, your thorn in your side and you're praying for and God gives you love for them, you might find out that in the future they might be somebody that is going to be a good friend. That's not a guarantee, but God does wonderful things when we ask for him, his help in those areas. So let's go ahead and we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity you have given us to show you through our lives, to allow you to fill us so much that you splash on every, peop every person that we meet. Lord, we ask that you give us love for those that we find difficult to love, that you give us the grace to, to help them, because you do that for those that are the thorn on your side, that don't, won't come to you, that won't love you, won't change. And we ask you, Lord, that you just help us to show that kind of love to others. And Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, we ask that they come to you and admit they're a sinner, admit that they deserve punishment, and then accept you as their Lord and Savior. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.